Well, today we continue in our series in the book of Acts. The last two weeks we've went through chapter 1. Last week in particular, here's kind of our three main takeaways, is that prayer unlocks Christ's power. Prayer unlocks what God wants to do, that even when we look at Jesus in key moments of his ministry, what did he do? He got away from everybody, and he prayed. And so we need to be individuals that are ready, willing, and able to get away and pray. That once unlocked, Christ's power is unstoppable. You see, so often it's easy to look in our world and say, well, this is falling apart and that's falling apart. If God's power is unlocked, nothing can stop it. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I always say it doesn't mean the weapon won't be formed, but it's not going to prosper. That if it's not good, then God's not done with it yet because God works all things for good for, for those who believe in Christ Jesus. And so you have to remind yourself of, hey, this doesn't look good, but it hasn't taken me out. It hasn't defeated me. It hasn't beat me yet. So what can I do? How can I move forward? What can I do that God wants me to do? And just don't give up. Just keep going. And then the third thing from last week is this, is the importance of personally experiencing Christ's power. It can't be enough that, well, Pastor Scott does this, or my wife or my husband does this, or my kids do this, or my parents did this. No, you need to personally experience the power of Christ yourself. Because what we're going to see as we move into the, the chapter 2 is it requires all of the disciples doing what they're called to do to accomplish the will of God. This amazing ministry of Jesus that goes for three years, and now all of a sudden he's poured into the twelve. And now they're going to begin in this moment to begin to spread out to accomplish a multiplying uh, effect where it's not just adding people to the faith, but it's an exponential growth. And here's the thing that I know about God and his kingdom is that he is still in the business of exponential growth, not just addition. And so we can see that same thing happen if we do what the disciples did. But that means that we need to make the sacrifices that the disciples made. So here's the thing I want to bring to your attention, that there's events in your life that change your life. When you look at moments of marriage, birth of a child, a significant injury, a job change, a move, there are things where you mark in your life, on that day, things changed. There's events that have changed our world. You can look at July 4th, 1776, when America is born, electricity being invented, the internet being invented. Uh, January 28th, 2024, when the Lions make the first Super Bowl. I mean, there's dates that, I mean, here's the thing is we can look at intentional dates where it's like that just changed everything. But when I look at the, the, the chapter we're going to read today, Acts 2, this is one of the pivot points that changes everything within Scripture. You see, we go from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and everything feels good and everything feels right in the world. And then all of a sudden, sin enters the world, and God's plan begins to restore, redeem, and bring back together his creation to himself. And all through this moment, what we're going to see this morning is in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit operating. We see moves of God, but there is this uh, element where God's presence lives in the Ark of the Covenant, that God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant goes into the Holy of Holies, that God's presence is hidden behind a veil, that God's presence is only able to be obtained once a year by the high priest, and even then the high priest would wear something on their legs, and that all of a sudden if the bell stopped ringing, they would pull the high priest out because the high priest had to be in the right exact spot, otherwise they would die in the presence of God. 
But when Jesus dies on the cross, that veil is torn. When Jesus dies on the cross, the Holy Spirit's presence is no longer confined to a small little holy of holies because now all of a sudden the holy of holies is open up to everyone. Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old, the Holy Spirit is present and available to all. It changes everything. And what we're about to see in Acts chapter 2 is a moment that has changed humanity forever. It's easy to say, well, this is an important history uh, event for me. This is an important history event for our nation. But this is an important history point for all of mankind because it still is having ripple effects to this day. So before we jump in and read Acts chapter 2, would you just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp. Onto my feet and a light onto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews... Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And, it all, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. One of the things that I just think is really interesting when we get to this topic of Acts 2 and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I think it's an intentional ploy by Satan, is to divide the church off of this passage of Scripture. Now, as an Assemblies of God church, as a Pentecostal church, we are a full gospel church. And what that means is if it is in this word, God said it, God means it, God's still doing it. How do I know that to be true? When we get to heaven one day, there's not just going to be a one language in heaven. Because when we get to heaven, it's every tribe, tongue, and nation will be present. That means we are going to be able to hear other people speaking in their native language that they use today. And we're going to be able to comprehend it and respond back in English to them. And they'll be able to understand it as well. This isn't going to just be a, all of a sudden we get to heaven and now everybody speaks English. That's not how heaven works. But every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we begin seeing this happen right here. That 
there is a vital importance of awakening our affections to obey the Holy Spirit, to surrender to God's worldwide mission of reaching the lost with the gospel. This isn't just a, I want to save who I want to save. This is the matter when God says, go, you go. That if God says, hey, I want you to be a missionary to the city over uh, next door, then go. To the neighbor across the street, then go. If God calls you to the other side of the planet, then we as a church are going to help you go. But you need to follow and obey because every single person needs to experience the love of who God is. Vance Havener, the American revivalist, once said, We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. I know you're going to be louder when you listen to the Lions game later, so we're going to say that one again. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Here's the thing that we need to realize. You can't criticize people into obedience. And if you conform to what's going on, they're definitely not going to come to obedience. The only way that we're going to see a move of God happen in our nation is by saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit says, go, I go. The Holy Spirit says, yes, then yes. If the Holy Spirit says, no, then no. The Holy Spirit says, jump, you say, how high? The Spirit says, run, how fast? It's not about us, but it's about God moving through us. Because remember, the Holy Spirit's not back behind a veil anymore. The Holy Spirit, when we are in Christ and the Spirit fills us, we are filled with God's presence, and we're ready and willing and able to go in the direction that God calls us to. The reason why we see what we're about to see in these next chapters that come in the book of Acts is these individuals that were terrified of what might happen to them when Jesus is being crucified, now all of a sudden are ready, willing, and able to put their lives on the line for what they believe. They experience the miracles of Jesus hands-on for three years, and all of a sudden it's, oh, I'm scared. But something changes. It's the presence of God filling them. And let me just encourage you that we each have our own abilities, we have our talents, we have our own personalities, and we don't all need to be mirrors of one another. There's, there's different giftings when it comes to the Holy Spirit that God knows how he created you and what he made you to do. That he's not going to specifically ask you to do something that he hasn't equipped you to do. But if we all function in how God has called us to function, it's amazing how the body all of a sudden works together to accomplish the mission. And so the early church succeeded in spreading Christianity not because they had material wealth, not because of their social status, not because of their political influence, but because they they were a people ignited by the Spirit of God, driven by their passion for Christ. If you see yourself not doing anything for Christ, I need you to question, do I have passion for Christ? Or do I have passion to do what I want to do? If we want to see a move again in our world, we must be willing to become uncomfortable and go after the things of God. Whatever that means. The idea of being ignited by the Spirit matters. That I want you to imagine if you're out in the, the woods and you're making a campfire, there's a lot of different ways that you can make a campfire. There's more right ways than others. I mean, you could, you could throw a bunch of wet wood together and hope for the best and throw... Um, igniter fluid on it and, and throw matches, hoping that, that what wood would become a fire. But the, the method that makes more sense is to build your actual fire, put the kindling in, then uh, like 
put little uh, smaller pieces together, and then you kind of build it all the way up, and then you light that in the middle. But here's the thing that I want you to realize, is there's a lot of different ways that that spark can come. I grew up as a, a Royal Ranger, if you're familiar with the program, and I, I remember saying, okay, well, we can have matches. We can just light a fire with a match. It's like, Yes, you can, but you can also do it by flint and steel, and you can also do it by taking two sticks and rubbing them together. And I remember being like a 10-year-old of like, why don't we just use the match? <laughs> like, you're a grown adult, I'm a kid, why are you giving me two sticks and say rub them together really fast to create friction so that you can get a spark? But sometimes it feels like the thing that doesn't make any sense is the way that God wants to operate because he wants you to trust in him. I mean, the easiest way of getting a campfire going in the woods is carry lighter fluid with you, pour it on the fire, and then strike the match. But the easiest way isn't always the right way. And this is the thing that I want you to even realize, that when we look at this, the thing that I love about this passage, just like listen to this again. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. There was no special song. It doesn't say that there is the right uh, stage lighting. It doesn't say that there was the right amount of haze in the room. It doesn't say that the right person prayed for you. It doesn't say that you had to be seeking for three years or three months or three days. They were all together. They were seeking God, and then all of a sudden a move of God happened. Here's the thing that I want you to realize is that so often I think we make this topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit so like, oh, I've got to do all of these things, and I've got to be in the right place spiritually, and you just need to seek God. The idea of, like, picture someone you want to give a Christmas present to on Christmas morning, and imagine if you show up at their door, and you say, here's the Christmas present, I want you to open it, and they say, well, time out. I've got to go and do my hair first, or brush my teeth, or I've got to finish eating my breakfast first, and let me get everything right, and then I'll come, and I'll sit down, and I'll open the present with you. You as the present giver, unless they're a complete mess in that moment, you just kind of say, like, can you open the present so I can go? Because I've got more things to do. And we force God into a spot where you've got you've to wait for me to get ready. And God's just like, I'm already ready for you to be ready. Like, go. Do this. So when we look at this, we just see God trying to move in them so that they can begin communicating to all nations the gospel. It's the great commission that go into all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that God's commanded us to do. Conceptually, it's not hard, but we make it difficult. We make it to be a struggle. Now, here's one of the things that I love about this passage that I don't see really get pulled out too often. When we go back to Genesis and we see everything happen and play out in Genesis, we get to that story of the Tower of Babel. And what happens in the Tower of Babel? Everybody's coming together with the sole purpose of we're going to build this tower and we're going to be able to reach heaven. And look at, God's going to look at us and say, look, look at what they can do. And God stops them because they were going after their own pride of saying, look at us. Look how great we are. And confuses their languages and sends them apart. But the beautiful thing that happens in Acts 2 is it's the beginning to undo that. Because now what happens is the confusion in their language that happened in Genesis in this new church, it's going to go away because now all of a sudden God is equipping his believers to go out and do the work of the ministry and do things that don't seem possible. To this day where we look around the world and how easy it is to begin to share the gospel in, in all these different languages, half the problem is we don't have enough workers to go out and do the work. That 
the, the ability to have the Bible in somebody's heart language, if you're not familiar with that term of heart language, what it means is it's not just saying it's in English, but it's the idea of saying it's in Southern English, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, like y'all and all those fun words get thrown in there. But you start getting to other nations where they all speak the same language, but their dialects are completely different. It's not just translating the Bible into this language, it's into all the appropriate dialects so that people can hear the name of Jesus and they can understand the name of Jesus and all of a sudden they can go forth and say, hey, Jesus existed. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus died on my behalf. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus ascended back to heaven and Jesus is coming again. And the realization that God is doing this undoing of the Tower of Babel, he stopped the Tower of Babel because it was all about man, but then he starts undoing it because it becomes all about God. Because it stops being about me and my wants and my desires, but it becomes all about, let me make Jesus famous. When we look at the early church in Acts 2, we see their priorities laid out. Speak boldly about the gospel, care sacrificially for one another, worship wholeheartedly in spirit and truth, and then multiply exponentially as the Lord adds to their numbers. It mirrors very closely to, intentionally, uh, to what our core values are as a church. That we want every person to experience Christ, to become intentionally discipled, become joyfully generous, so that others can join the common unity of the faith. The goal is people meeting Jesus. And as people meet Jesus... They all of a sudden get to experience who Jesus is. It's not just Jesus being a name, but Jesus being a person that they can interact with, that they can become intentionally discipled, that as we pour into the kingdom and we are generous, we are able to watch things happen. We can watch as God is faithful to do what he says he'll do, as we do what he asks us to do. And then we join the common unity and we watch other people join too as the church multiplies and it grows. So this isn't just something that we do because we want to. We do it because God's called us to. The driving force behind the mission of the early church was the person of Jesus Christ. And I think so often in the church it's easy to say, well, we love Jesus and we want to follow Jesus, but this program is really good and this event is really good and I like following and listening to this teacher and that. No, it's all about Jesus. The second you make Christianity about anything other than Jesus, you have messed it up. And you need to repent and you need to go back to square one and say, okay, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to go? What things do you want me to get rid of? I'm just letting you know up front. Because I know that there is this feeling and I know I can be the same way at times. Where you can look at leadership and not just here but just in general and you can question leadership. Because it's this feeling of, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Can you, can you trust me in this fact that I'm intentional about saying, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? I have a church board that I go to with, like, here's important decisions. What do you think? This is what I'm feeling. I go to pastoral staff. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I don't just make big decisions just for the sake of making big decisions. In fact, I don't like making big decisions just to make big decisions. It's not my personality. But when the Holy Spirit says, do this... If all of a sudden you walk in one day on a Sunday morning and I say, hey, we're going to get rid of this event forever. But that's my favorite event. I love that event. I met Jesus through that event. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you have that testimony, but God's calling us to do something different. Are you okay with it? 
Because is it about you, is it about the event, or is it about the person of Jesus Christ? And when the early church said, you know what, this isn't the way that we used to do this in the Old Testament. Back in my day, we used to have to go to the, the Holy of Holies once a year. No, it all changed. The Holy of Holies, the curtains and the veil has been torn. That the Holy Spirit is about to be in each and every single person. And we are about to be changed by the Spirit. That's the next point this morning, is changed by the Spirit. There's a significant change to how the Spirit is functioning, and I want you to see this. Because I'm about to read through a list of each of the times in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit moved. Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Exodus 31 Three, the Spirit of God filled the craftsmen with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Numbers 11, 16 through 26, 70 uh, uh, prophesy when the Spirit was put, put on them. Numbers 24, 1 through 6, the Spirit comes on Balaam and gives a prophet blessing. Uh, Numbers 27, 18, the Spirit was on Joshua who will replace Moses. Judges 3, 9 through 10, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Othniel. Judges 6.34, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. 11.29, the Spirit of the Lord caused Jephthah to pass through Gilead and Manasseh. 13.25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson. 14.6, the Spirit of the Lord enabled Samson to tear apart a lion. 14.19, the Spirit of the Lord helped Samson kill 30 men. uh, 15.14, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson so that the ropes drop off. Let me just stop for a second. Samson needed the spirit to come back quite a few times because he kept messing up. And because you're going to notice this, that usually the spirit comes upon an individual and then the spirit departs from an individual in the Old Testament. Samson, by the grace of God, was able to have the spirit come back and forth. Not normally what I would recommend as a practice. Uh, 1 Samuel 10, 6 through 10, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily and he prophesied. 11, 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily. 16, uh, 13 through 14, spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David and departed from Saul. 19, 20 through 23, the spirit of the Lord uh, came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. Isaiah 59, 21, the spirit was upon the prophet Isaiah. Ezekiel 2, 2, the Holy Spirit entered Ezekiel. 3, 24, the Holy Spirit entered entered Ezekiel again. Daniel 5.11, the uh, Chaldeans described the Holy Spirit as a spirit of the holy gods. First Chronicles 12.18, the spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Amasiah and he spoke. Second Chronicles 20.14, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he spoke. That's it. When we look at the Old Testament and when we look at church history, we're looking at That right here is all that we see of the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals. And then Acts 2 happens, and everything changes. There's individuals in the Old Testament that would have absolutely loved to have had the opportunity that the church today has of having the Holy Spirit live within them. But the Holy Spirit was tucked in the Holy of Holies in their time period. And we as an American church, as a global church today, are fighting over, well, does God really want to do that today, or does he not want to do that today? I mean, imagine the simplicity of the statement. Hey, Acts 2, God, that was fantastic, but can we talk the Holy Spirit back behind the veil, and I'll help sew the veil back shut again? Because that's what happens when we have those conversations. Now, here's the thing. If you either grew up in a tradition where, hey, this is great, this is for the early church, it's not for us today, 
please don't take anything as an assault of like, you're less than a Christian. That's not true. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in his son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When we look at the thief on the cross next to Jesus, the thief on the cross did not have a chance to be water baptized. The thief on the cross did not have a chance to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The thief on the cross is in heaven. This doesn't make you more than of a Christian or less than a Christian. It just means that God's in you and ready to help you move on a higher level and faster. When we look at Psalms 51, 10 through 12, this is David writing, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David, this is David after the situation happened with Bathsheba that we talked about back in December. He knows that he messed up, and he is quickly asking for repentance, asking to God, would you, would you just not take your spirit from me? I messed up. I know I messed up. I'm, I'm asking you, please don't take your spirit from me. See, so often today it's really easy to approach this whole Christian lifestyle with saying, hey, how close to the edge can I get? Like, how far do I really have to walk into the presence of God in order to make it to heaven one day? When David realizes that he messed up, what's his motivation in that moment? How far away from the line can I get? We have this opposite mentality today of, I want to I go to heaven, but I want to enjoy my, my trip, so I'm going to just lean over this edge. Instead of saying, you know what, I want to walk into the fullness of everything that God has for me. Acts 2 literally changed everything. And today we just find ourselves saying, you know what, that's awesome, and some people, they're going to go all out for God, and I just kind of want to come along for the journey. No, it's, like, come all the way on, on the journey. Like, I'm just going to be, be real. There's this weirdness in our country right now in regards to the Detroit Lions. Let, let me explain. You see, you look at typically all the other three teams. They've all won Super Bowls before. Most of them have won Super Bowls recently. Everybody's against them if you're not rooting for them. Because they love the lovable lions. They weren't there when they went 0-16. They weren't there when the refs cheated them. Like, I want someone to say, I want to be all in. You, if, if they were to make it to the Super Bowl, if they were to win the Super Bowl, that person can cheer, but that person's a bandwagon fan. You weren't there when things were rough. But look at this, and with the, we can laugh about that, and that's why I intentionally bring up that situation and that scenario. But do you want to really make it to heaven as a bandwagon fan? Because I think a lot of Christians want to make it to heaven as a bandwagon fan of like, hey, that team looks like it's going to win. I want to be on that team. I want to show up at the store on Monday morning. I want to buy the nice T-shirt. I want to say that I was a fan. I want to say that I was all in on this. But all it takes is someone to actually look at your life and like, you were rooting for Kansas City last year. You were rooting for this team three years ago. Even in here, like I see a lot of you with your, your Lions shirts and your Lions jerseys. Did you buy it last week or have you had it for a couple years? <laughs> There's a difference. Here's how I can tell when someone, I know someone's a fan. When you show up at a game and this person's got the brand new just released jersey this year, 
and this person's rocking the Barry Sanders jersey from 1991 that is falling apart. There's holes in it. You know that person's been through it. So when it comes to Christianity, I want to be someone that when they look at me, they say, that person's been through it. That person, they've got stories. That person, they've got, they got battle scars. When I think of some of our missionaries that I know that I care about so deeply, and I look at their testimonies like, mm, that person's been through it. We look at Daniel and we say, Daniel, he went to the lion's den. Like, how cool would that be? Today, we, wouldn't, we would love to watch other people have that story and say, hey, I'm rooting for you, Daniel. But you're not jumping in the lion's den with them because we're scared. We don't have to be scared because Acts 2 changed everything. Acts 2 allowed us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to not have the Holy Spirit tucked away behind a veil, but the Holy Spirit to be in us, to change us, challenge us, speak on behalf of God. We get lost in the matter of tongues and should we speak in tongues, should we not speak in tongues? Let's speak everything that God has for us. And if tongues comes with it, amen, praise God. If God just equips you and empowers you and gives you boldness to go out and to, to tell people about Jesus, Amen, praise God. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to prophesy, then amen, praise God. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit pulls out of you and puts into you, that you realize that, okay, God, you're in charge here. It's not about me. The disciples had no clue what was going to happen to them in Acts 2. But it changed everything. It's such a contrast. Then it gets us to this next point of experiencing God through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be in an intimate relationship. When we look at the Old Testament, when we look at everything that came before, it's this feeling of the Holy Spirit didn't want to just hang out in the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Spirit couldn't enter us until everything was made right through Jesus' death and resurrection. But the second that death happens, that veil gets torn. And if you go back and you do the study on it, and we don't have time to do it today, that veil, it was not just like your, your thin little curtain in your house. That was a thick veil that just at the moment that Jesus dies, it just gets torn from top to bottom. It was an immediate thing saying the presence of God is out there for everyone and God is about to do something. And so you have this moment where the disciples, even still when Jesus is ascending back into heaven and they're told to go back to Jerusalem and to wait and to pray, it's this feeling of, but what's going to happen and when's it going to happen and what's it going to look like? we got to stop asking questions of what and where and when and just say, okay, God, when you're ready, go. When you're ready, go. As we submit to the Spirit's leading, we can be confident that we are walking in God's plan and participating in his redemptive work in the world. When the Holy Spirit fills the church, believers are struck with awe and wonder at the mighty work of God. The awe-inspiring presence of the Spirit draws us closer to God and deepens our love and reverence for him. As the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, the world takes notice. We have to realize that it's, we're not just doing it for ourselves so that we feel better and so that we look like a better Christian, that we have the right, uh, the right clothes on and the right sayings. And No, let's go back to that, that person where you're like, they've been through it. They've been through the ringer, but they keep going. They keep giving everything that they have for God. And ultimately, this brings us to a spot where we come back to the, the, the four points I shared briefly earlier about this early church, is they spoke boldly. They were individuals that spoke boldly, that they previously ran away when things got scary, but now all of a sudden they are so encouraged to share the good news that nothing is going to stop them. 
that they're willing and ready to get up and give an account of what God's done. I think a lot of times that there's individuals that they just feel like, hey, I can't share what God's done because God just hasn't done this crazy story in my life. It's the analogy I always like using of like, my testimony is well, I grew up in the church and I've always followed Jesus and I haven't done anything too bad. And I, like, I lied to my parents when I was in high school and I was mean to this person, but I asked for forgiveness and I just don't have an interesting testimony. Realize this. If that's your testimony, there's people in our world that need to know that there is the staying power of God Almighty that can prevent people from going in because they've been through it and they're hoping that their children or their grandchildren don't have to go through it. And if they would make the change and change their life today, that they could change future generations in their family. Your testimony matters. Proclaim it boldly. And some of you are in here that like, I'm ashamed of what my testimony is because I sold crack cocaine to five-year-olds and I murdered people just left and right. And I've got this huge rap sheet and I'm obviously I'm trying to make an extreme case here, but if you say, like, well, this is what my testimony is, I just don't feel confident telling people. No, if God's brought you out of it and brought you through it and changed things, share your testimony. Because if someone's going to judge you based off your testimony, that's on them. But you're called to share the power of what God's done because what that can equally do is to someone, one, is somebody who's stuck in it and they don't know how to get out, they can say, hey, God provided you a way out. God can do that for me. It gives them the confidence. But at the same time, it can also give confidence to this person over here that they never struggled, that they never went through these difficulties, but their children or their grandchildren are going through it and that they're struggling and they have issues of, I don't know what to do. Is God going to be able to redeem them? And they hear your testimony and say, okay, if God did it for you, they can do it for, for my, my child. That I don't have to give up yet. I don't have to throw in the towel yet. Speak boldly what God is doing in your life. The second point is this, is care sacrificially. And we're going to get here uh, in about, what I believe, two or three more weeks where we're going to dive into this one more specifically. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the presence of God, we realize that the betterment of the church and the people around us matter more than what we want for ourselves. And that when God calls us to give, you give. When God calls you to go, you go. When God calls you to do something, even when it's uncomfortable for you, you realize that God will be able to provide for you. God will stretch you. It will not always feel good, but God will take care of you. Because here's the thing. When we look at Acts 2, this church is beginning to be birthed into something that is bigger than they could ever imagine. And all of a sudden, we're going to start seeing in these next chapters to come the fact that they gave everything to anyone who was in need. And today we start questioning, well, like, how much is everything? And do we really need to give a tithe to the church? Because I think the tithe is in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is, that, that was the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. That's cool. Cool story, bro. Um, here's what the, the Acts 2 church did. They gave everything willingly to anyone who was in need. So keep fighting that battle about whether I should give 10% or not. And when the Holy Spirit says give all, you give all. Because the last time I checked, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, Jesus said go and sell it all. He wasn't willing to. And we don't see him accepting Jesus, his Lord and Savior, because his money mattered too much to him. But when we look at Scripture, we need to uh, care sacrificially for other people. Because if we want to see the church multiply exponentially, we have to be really ready, willing, and able to lay our wants, needs, and desires down so that God can grow his kingdom. 
Because he wants to do it through you. God doesn't need you. God wants to use you. Let that one sink in. Because God has the ability. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can sell them when he wants to. He can do what he wants to. But God wants to operate using you so that you can be a part of that process. Let him. Because if you say no, God will find another method. God will find another strategy. But God wants to use you. The third one was this, worship wholeheartedly. This isn't a matter of just showing up to church like, hey, that worship set, that, that was my love language today. Those were my songs. That was my generation. I love, no, it's whether you know the songs, you don't know the songs. Whether uh, everything is perfect with worship, everything falls apart. You give it all, your all because it's not about you. It's not about us. It's all about the King of Kings. We're singing to an audience of one. But fast forward that out of just music because worship is not just music. Worship is how you do everything. When you wake up in the morning and you speak to someone, you need to represent who Christ is. If you're, the words coming out of your mouth are bringing death, you're not worshiping God. If the words coming out of your mouth are tearing down God's creation, you're not worshiping God. And God's creation includes all mankind because, again, for the one millionth time, and I'll say it another million times, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the principalities of, of evil. So people in this world, we are in an election year. It's going to be contentious. Buckle up, put that seatbelt on, and get ready to go for a ride in 2024. Don't lose your Christianity over an election cycle. Don't lose friendships over an election cycle. Don't lose family members over an election cycle. Because if you lose them because you want to have a nice, fun argument about people that you don't know and you'll never meet, you're going to lose an opportunity potentially to tell them about Jesus and you'll lose the opportunity to potentially see them in heaven for eternity because you want to argue about a politician that you'll never meet. Don't let that happen. Worship wholeheartedly. Everything you do, you can look at and say, hey, you know what? God made this day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I might be struggling right now. I might be down and out. I might feel like nothing's going to go right. But I'm in God. And if I'm in God, he's going to work all things for, for good for those who believe in him. So I'm going to hold on to that and say, today's not a good day, but God's not done. And then the fourth point was this, is multiply exponentially. Their numbers grew daily as the Holy Spirit worked in them and through them. There is no reason that that can't happen again in the American church. But in order for that to happen, we have to put God first. If I come in and I say, hey, we're going to get rid of this event, we're going to get rid of this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Please trust and know that I'm saying those things because it's what the Holy Spirit's directing me to do. Because I want to see nothing more than our church to grow exponentially because there's people that need Jesus. We have the room, we have the capability, the capacity to tell more people about Jesus than we ever have before. But I need all of us on board doing it together because if you leave it up to me, we're talking about addition. If we're talking all of us, that's where exponential grows. I mean, imagine for a moment that everyone in this room won two people to Christ this year and they started attending our church. Now we're in a conversation of we need two services because we need more room for more people to know Jesus. Exponential growth is fun. Addition is fun. But it's what I always say. I would love nothing more than have this water baptism tank perpetually filled because we need to baptize people every single week. I would love to pay that water bill. I don't like paying bills. I would love that water bill. 
I'll, I'll tell you this, because Pastor Frank and I were talking about this this past week. We were just talking uh, just some different building things. And he said, remember when last summer we got the letter from the city saying, hey, your water bill is exponentially higher than it typically is. You might want to check your building and make sure that there's no leaks or there's no issues. And I, I said, you know what it was? We filled up the baptismal tank about 10 times in about 12 weeks. I'll take that water bill all day because that means growth is happening. Worship team, if you'd go ahead and come back up here. The Spirit's passion is to exalt Christ in this place and worldwide. As a family of faith, the question for us is whether we're going to join in that great mission or not. See, because God's already laid out his plans. God the Father gave us God the Son and Jesus, who walked among with mankind to live that life that we couldn't live. To die the death that we should have died. So that we could be set free, so then all of a sudden that the veil could be torn and then the presence of God could be within us. Bringing us as close to the garden as we can be other than being in the physical presence of God the Father, which we will be one day. But it's this mission, it's this goal of bringing us all back together. And so here's what I want to just encourage you. The worship team is going to lead us in Jaira this morning. But as we just worship this morning, if you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, today can be your day. Thursday might be that day. But I would just challenge you, seek the presence of God. I'll encourage you with this because when we look at Acts 2, it's this feeling of all of a sudden there is, the way it was written is that tongues of fire appeared on their head. Most likely, I've been in a lot of services. I've seen a lot of people filled with the presence of God. I've never seen literal tongues of fire on their head, so you don't have to worry. Your hair's not going to get singed. But I have watched as people said, you know what, I'm just going to surrender my life and say, God, have your way. When we look back at the Tower of Babel, they, languages were separated, languages were mixed up because of pride. When I look back in my life, I sought the Holy Spirit baptism for so long, and I never received for the longest time, simply because I made it a matter of pride. Well, this friend just received, and that friend received, and I want it because I'm a good Christian, and I should have it. And it wasn't until I was a junior in high school, I was at a retreat, and we were praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening, and I got mad at God, and I did what any good, responsible uh, junior in high school would do. I left the service, and I went back to the cabin, and I was mad at God, and I was throwing a pity party at God, and there was this feeling of, I want to fill you, but you won't just allow your mouth to open and start using the words because you're too prideful of what you're going to sound like. And now all of a sudden I'm in a cabin that I'm probably not supposed to be in by myself. I said, okay, fine, God, if you give me a word, I'll say that word. And I said that first word in tongues, and then all of a sudden the language flew. Because I all of a sudden stopped making it about myself, humbled myself, and said, okay, God, whatever it is you want, go for it. Game on. Which then would lead to about 18 months later when God called me uh, into the ministry. And God started changing everything about my life because I said yes in a moment. Church, this morning, if that's you and you just have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you want to experience it anew, the altar is open. Just come and take time. The worship team is going to uh, lead us, is going is to play. 
the prayer team can come up and we can pray for you, but ultimately it's not about the prayer team. It's not about the song they're going to play. It's not about the lighting in this room. It's about you just saying, God, would you just have your way in me and fill me with your presence and fill me with your spirit? If that's you, just come to the altar and seek God. And again, it might happen this morning. And if it does, let us know. But it also might happen this afternoon when you're just sitting in your house by yourself. And if that happens, let us know. But this altar is open. The worship team is going to lead us. Let's just seek the face of God.